0: Welcome to today's episode of Let's Talk Sports. Today is May 14th, and sports are finally back. Ryan and I are going to cover the UFC 249 event that went down in Florida a couple of days ago, and I'm here with Ryan to break it down for you right now. Ryan, it's great to be here with you, man.
1: Happy to be back, Goldie. Uh, Honestly, how awesome is that, getting to watch people smack the crap out of each other? I mean sitting on the couch with your I mean it was just you and your family but you get to sit there and still be like all right live sports like we were literally tailgating before like we, we treated it like it was the Super Bowl almost
0: <laughs> yeah, it was like Christmas morning honestly getting to come back and have sports a little bit there and a lot of the things that we were really looking forward to we got to see some really close fights Joe Rogan's soothing voice that was just so awesome to have throughout the night one thing that was a bit of a disappointment but it was also a bit of a change I guess which you know you could take a positive away from it was kind of like the eerie nature of having no fans in the building because you could hear so clearly everything that was going on the smaller shots that maybe normally don't get picked up within the audio you could hear about every single thing that was going on all the trash talk and the corner demands as well that was something that i thought was kind of cool
1: well look at what greg hardy was saying he credited the fact that it was an empty stadium that he could hear joe rogan's commentary and adjust to what he was saying and like First off, that's just hilarious because it's Greg Hardy. And second off, like, it makes sense. You can hear your coaches. You can hear the commentators. It's not people yelling. There's no home field advantage.
0: It's kind of crazy because – you normally wouldn't even think that that's possible, but there was legitimately so few people in that building that I don't question the fact that Greg Hardy was able to hear the commentators and whatnot throughout the fight because it was just that quiet. And you can kind of tell when they did the wide view and you could see just the empty seats upon seats, you know, you know, flood throughout the stadium. It's just one of those things where you're like, wow, like you kind of take it for granted when you have the fans there, the real impact that they have on the production of the event, I guess. But definitely cool had a great time watching the fights you're wearing a cowboy hat as we speak so i kind of want to start off with the best fight of the preliminaries here if you want to get in on the anthony pettis defeat or his uh his win over cowboy wanted to dive dive into that a little well
1: i'm a i'm a huge cowboy own fan to be honest i was disappointed i really thought he was going to come out there a lot faster i thought it was going to be more of a dominant fight. Shout out to Pettis. He, he had a wonderful fight. He looked uh he looked confident all the way through. Um hey, those are two fighters who everyone in the MMA world respects and it was a ton of fun to watch.
0: Yeah, and I know Pettis and Cowboy are definitely two fighters normally fighting on a big card. I guess in the primes of their career, definitely. And Pettis specifically was one of those guys that no one was really certain how he was going to fight because a lot of his best fighting was years ago, and Cowboy had fought a bit more recently, although it was a loss to McGregor. I, you know, judging is always one of those things. He that-
1: fought more. I was he fought more recently than that. I was at the fight in Ottawa against
0: Ala Quinta. Ah, good point. All right. Well, he has a couple. He's been fighting a lot. You know, he's probably near the tail end of his career here. So I could, you could say the same for both guys. It was definitely one of the, I guess, you know, it was a good way of going about the fight because you got you got two guys who kind of mimic each other in terms of their career trajectories near the tail end here. And as I was saying to you a second ago, uh, judging in UFC and in fighting really in general is definitely one of those things. It's kind of subjective and everyone has a differing opinion. So I don't want to discredit any of the judges, but I had Cowboy winning. So it's unfortunate to see, you know, decisions that contradict how you feel. But at the same time, I wouldn't put it past, you know, Pettis or Cowboy. It was definitely a up in the air he was going to win and ultimately Pettis was the one who got the decision so
1: I you know what watching that like I I thought Cowboy was going to win that but to be honest I still had that feeling like all right this is anybody's fight like that was just that was a class act that's what you want to see out of the two let's say tail end of their careers guys who have been doing great things for the sport for a long time and in some sense, I expect it to go the distance, and I expect that it could go either way, so that's awesome.
0: Before we move into some other fights here, one thing I wanted to mention, because I already brought up Joe Rogan's commentary, one thing that I do think was lacking a little bit from Joe's commentary, and it, it also just provides a little insight into how truly important the fans are, is that he kind of was lacking in that excitement within his commentary. He was definitely great, and I love hearing him on the call, him on the call really when he's talking in any fashion, but... What a lot, of, uh, a lot of my memories with Joe Rogan commentary involves him being like, he tagged him, he's hurt, like, getting, like, really excited, like, feeding off of the energy in the crowd. And he didn't really have that within the commentary. He was still calling the fight, doing his thing. But, like, there wasn't any of that, like, oh, he tagged him. he tagged him. Like, that type of thing that we all love. So excited for that to come back.
1: Well, I'm going to jump to the Francis Naganu fight. I mean, that was the lock of the night naganu first round knockout like just from everyone i was talking to pre-fight they're like i want to see him take him out heavyweight battle like did you see 20 seconds in just comes in or just boom boom you get, he missed his first three punches landed one and fights over
0: it's kind and of that's
1: kind of what I was, that's the factor that naganu brings and that it's so much fun
0: to watch it's, it's kind of crazy, man, because we all know that Nagano has tremendous power and capabilities, but I didn't really know about Rosenstruck. I think that's his last name. Uh, and, like, I didn't really know what he was capable of. But, you know, doing the eye test, obviously Naganu's a big guy, but, like, I didn't think it was going to be that quick. I know the commentar- the commentators were saying, like, oh, a lot of people don't expect this to get past the second or the third round. But I'm, like, watching them, and I'm like, I think this could go a little longer than 20 seconds. But then, you know, Naganu started- and he's throwing haymakers and the thing that was odd was that like Rosenstruck as you said he, he dodged the first three of them but I guess when you have big guys like that like they don't have the quickest feet and he kind of stopped moving he he like stood dead in the water so to speak and was just like watching Nagano throw haymakers at him and the second he stopped kind of retreating and backing up was when he got clocked and the second that hit him in the jaw he just dropped and it was over there was literally no fight from there on and
1: Yeah, and I'm gonna go also to the Tony Ferguson um, Justin Baez fight. Herb Dean did a wonderful job officiating. I mean, obviously Tony Ferguson was pissed off. He thought he really—I mean, he thought that he shouldn't shouldn't the fight shouldn't have been ended. He thought he was still in it, and I really, I really would say Herb Dean made the right call. She is the best in the business, and she showed it once again. As, as Joe Rogan said, right, it, it was happening. People were booing. And to be honest, Dominic Cruz is a stand-up act. Of course, he's not, of course, he's not happy with it, but you know what? He still gets up there, says gives his reasons, and always has respect. And Henry Cejudo as well. What a way to finish off his career. I mean, it sucks to have a little bit of controversy, but to be honest, he's been a great fighter his entire career he's an olympic wrestler so congratulations to satooho he he fought a wonderful fight he really i don't care that yeah maybe he shouldn't a lot of people are saying i think he made the right decision that um that the fight would have that the fight shouldn't have been ended but if it wasn't ended there satooho is still going to win the fight and i don't there's any question about that and i think her Made the right decision for protecting Dominic, and we would have seen some serious injuries if he didn't.
0: Yeah, so I know a, a big topic within a lot of the fights, specifically in the UFC 249 card, in the preliminaries and in the main card, was that um a lot of the calls that were being made with the judging and whatnot, it was all very questionable. And it, it kind of ties back into to go back to your initial argument of herb dean protecting ferguson and protecting cruz and they in the fights that they had in the within the event i think it comes down to the the saying that sometimes you have to protect a fighter from themselves because gaichi even said at the end of the fight when gaichi beat ferguson gaichi said i would be pissed off if i was tony because i don't want to get called off when i'm on my feet like he doesn't want the fight to end if he's still standing he would only want to be waved out of a fight or have the ref save him out of a fight if he legitimately was like unconscious and that's the fighters mentality all good fighters have that mentality but it really just comes down to the fact that you have to save them save people from having that mentality because although Ferguson would have fought till he was out cold unquestionably the same way Gaethje would have fought till he was out cold that's not what's best for their careers Guys like Herb Dean, who are veterans in the industry, know that saving a guy like Ferguson, who was clearly losing the fight and getting peppered, looked like he was about to go brain dead, would probably, you know, save, keep years on his career ultimately because he's, he didn't really have much hope. Obviously, anything can happen in the UFC. We've seen how fights can change in an, in, in an instance. But I think it's a good call to, to go with what you, uh, what you initially brought up. I agree that it was the right decision. And ultimately, you'd need to do what you have to do to keep fighters safe. It's tough because sometimes you get the short end of the stick and the fighter ends up looking like they're okay. They get up, they protest, all of that. But Ferguson was pretty clear cut. He got beat up. And props to Ferguson because he can clearly take punches. He's one of the toughest fighters I've seen in a while. Reminds me a little bit of uh, Nick Diaz and Nate Diaz when they would fight all the time and just soak all those punches. But that's my two cents on the (laughs) thing.
1: Well definitely like the when you're talking about that you have to give the respect to the Diaz brothers. Those guys can just take a beating all day and they'll just sit there with a smile on their face and I mean, as we saw those guys are bad motherfuckers. I don't care if you lost to Masvidal, Diaz brothers are bad motherfuckers.
0: My favorite UFC fighter's Nate Diaz. So I'm a huge Diaz guy. I loved when he beat McGregor and he's just like a huge G. That's pretty much why I like him. It's a lot of his personality. <laughs> But um, there's one last fight. We didn't get to it yet. We'll dive a little bit more into Cejudo and Cruz after this because I do want to touch on that a little bit more. But Greg Hardy snuck away with the win. Oh, my God. And I love, like, watching him fight because he's, like, one of the most entertaining figures in the UFC given his history and ties to the NFL. So, for me, it's always intriguing watching Greg fight. But he wasn't doing very well in the first round of his prelim fight. No, he he
2: was the
0: middle of it <laughs> you can you can give your opinion on that i was i was gonna
1: say he came out of the gate slow like it looked like he it was, you know that old saying in hockey almost when it's like you kind of get waking up with that first hit it's like he was waiting there and he needed a few shots to wake him up and then he kind of gets into that engagement. like it's the first time you hear the smack of the pads in a football game mm-hmm. i mean
0: it brings out that animal inside Greg Hardy, who's only been fighting in the UFC for, or not even in the UFC, I think he's only been fighting MMA for like three years. He obviously doesn't have much diversity to his fighting strategically. He doesn't have the ability to switch stances and stuff like that. And early on in that fight, Jorgen DeCastro was beating his lead leg. It started swelling huge. First round, when they went to the corner, they did a zoom in on his leg. And it's red, bruised, infla- uh, Excuse me, uh, in- inflamed and all that. But what ended up happening, as I'm sure everyone who watched it saw, um, Jorgen De Castro broke his toe or something like that. It was very odd. He he missed on the leg kick and just nicked Greg Hardy's leg with his toe. And he was a tremendously worse fighter after that. And I don't want to question his heart or anything like that, because I know you have to be a nail to be in the UFC and fight professionally. But I was kind of surprised because he like, kicks after he hurt his toe. And I'm sure his toe was hurting. But, you know, you're winning the fight. He was definitely winning the fight at that point, and he was damaging Greg Hardy's knee, probably more so than his toe was hurting. But then he ultimately just decided that it was best for him to stop throwing those leg kicks, and the fight just got flipped on its head from that point on, and Greg Hardy just started giving it to him.
1: Honestly, Greg Hardy, and that, like, everything, to be honest, like we said before, you had a better analysis on that fight. Uh, that was one of the that was one of the fights that I kind of like. All right, like I flaked out a little bit, kind of Goldie. What happened? So I'm not gonna ramble right now, but 100 percent like what a night we got to we got to see live sports again. I mean, what could be better than that? Life is good.
0: Mm-hmm. And I uh, it's surprising because like a lot of the time we we love betting. I'm sure anyone who's listening to this knows that, but. One of the things that was weird is like we all bet and we all think we're good at betting but like if you look at your history in betting and you look at your account it shows that you're not that good at betting and that's the situation with me. <laughs> when I when I you know look at fights and I give my predictions like usually I think I'm going to be right I think I'm going to be right and then like maybe one thing goes wrong two things go goes wrong and I miss the bet. So I didn't have any money in my account I didn't make any bets but I can legitimately tell you when I look at everything that happened Everything that I thought was going to happen happened, and I'm not saying that in like a bragging way. I'm saying it like I'm pissed. I didn't put any money on it because I had <laughs> well, I had Nagano, I had Gaethje, and I had Cejudo. I definitely would have taken Greg Hardy as well, even though that one would have been a little lucky, and I probably would have been shitting myself in that first round. I'm a little pissed looking back on it because it's like this is one of those events where it gave a good opportunity for us to benefit off of our you know off of our hunches so to speak, and I didn't really get to do that, so I'm a little disappointed in myself.
1: Honestly, Goldie, don't let that beat you up too much. It's uh, it's about the purity of the sport in some sense. Like, of course, you like picking winners, but hey, man, you have to sit there and watch sports on Zoom with your friends, I guess.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah, man. Never going to take that for granted again, that's for sure. But I want to talk a little bit broader here. We all love the UFC event, but I want to talk about the impact that that event may have on the sports industry moving forward. It was a pretty big success in my books. Do you think it might set the scene for other sports moving forward?
2: I think it really is going to push the agenda when it comes to sports with no fans. I think it really could affect um, the decisions with Major League Baseball and the players' opinions. It, I mean, it shows that it's doable and that you can, you're going to have to make these adjustments, but it's better than nothing as long as... These leagues accept that hey, our revenues are down, but it's more than if we're shut down until next season, then they're not making any money. So I really think the UFC is setting the stage for sports. I don't know how the, I mean, I not necessarily agree with the proposed uh the proposed MLB playoff or if it starts in July the new uh, MLB proposal, but to be completely honest. You, I think UFC and how everything has went is definitely going to have an impact on sports coming back sooner with no fans, especially Major League Baseball.
0: It's weird, right? Because when we watch UFC as people who mo- mainly watch main card pay-per-view events we're so used to have the fan element of it. And it's so much of, I guess, what makes up our experience. But Dana White, who's obviously around MMA more than most people are, he spoke a little bit to how um, he's kind of used to this dynamic. And the fan dynamic is more of, like, a rarity for him that's really only present during, like, the big card main event pay-per-view events because he talked about a little bit about the um, the Ultimate Fighter and how they don't really have fans of any sort on that, like, whole, you know, dynamic that they have there and how he's actually more accustomed to this sort of layout than most people are so you know it, it did show us as sports fans that we might be able to get used to having no fans for a little bit and actually enjoy the events almost as much as we would have if the fans were there and i agree with you that it likely is going to set the scene for some of the other sporting leagues that are itching towards the return so before we kind of talk about those those other leagues, because there has been a lot of progress in the, uh, the eventual return of some of these leagues, there was another UFC event last night. It, it was UFC Fight Night, not too sure which number it was. The main card, however, Glover Teixeira versus Anthony Smith, who was the favorite, was quite the fight. John Jones's division, for anyone who's not overly familiar with the UFC, but it was a really good fight because Anthony Smith came out flying in the first round. And given what we talked about earlier in the episode, how corners have a lot of ability to communicate with their fighters, Anthony Smith's corner had an unorthodox approach where they were really hammering home all of their instruction for him in those earlier rounds, and it seemed to wear on him a lot as the later rounds progressed, and that was something that Daniel Cormier, DC, the commentator for the events uh, last night, he mentioned that as well. Uh, I wanted to bring that up because there isn't really much to talk about regarding the other fights. But this was a big eye-catching fight because Teixeira, who's a veteran, ended up winning the fight as the underdog. But aside from Teixeira winning the fight, something that caught a lot of eyes was the fact that Anthony Smith had said to his corner at the end of the fourth the fourth. What time, I'm not about to say,
2: so you beat me to it.
0: Yeah, his, he said his teeth were falling out at the end of the fight. <laughs> and um it's it's obviously it speaks to his toughness we all know that you have to be able- combat sports mm-hmm. but what i'm what i'm questioning here when you have an athlete when it's your athlete the guy you've been training with telling you at the end of the fourth round in a fight that he's pretty clearly losing that his teeth are falling out is that like an indirect way of him telling you like maybe you should be throwing in the towel for me? Because we all know fighters aren't quitters for the most part. They're gonna stay in there till they get knocked out, and they they pretty much that's their mindset. They want to get knocked out. But it all kind of plays back into what I was referencing earlier in the episode that you kinda have to save the fighter from themselves. Do you think hearing something like that when Anthony Smith tells his corner my teeth are falling out at the end of round four when he's clearly losing a fight, maybe his corner should have just thrown in the towel?
2: Well, I'm gonna start it off first with I don't think his intentions of saying oh my teeth are falling out was throw in the towel. I think he would have been pissed off if they threw in the towel. It was more like all right, like my teeth are falling out like strategy wise, like which side's he coming in from, like do I keep my hands up a little bit more, like do I switch stances? Like it's more on that aspect. And I I feel like if he if he really needed the towel thrown in, it, they would have stopped the fight. I didn't think he was getting to that point, but Definitely a grueling battle. Like, I mean, his face did not look good after that one. Like, that kind of reminded me of, like, a mix of, like, the beating that Mark Hominick took, like, back in, like, 2013 from Jose Aldo. And um, what was the fight where that guy's lip just split completely right off his mouth? Like, it was kind of like a hybrid between those two.
0: Man, I, that, that picture is, like, one of the more traumatizing UFC pictures of all time. Cool. But um we're gonna have to
2: put that on our Instagram, that clip, because Goldie's reaction is that I was saying when his lip was falling off, he was like, Wow. So I am we're gonna have to post a video
0: of that reaction there. But um I agree with you that a lot of it, it ultimately comes back to the fighters mindset. We all know that the fighters aren't trying to quit. And I want to tie it back to his corner a little bit because that was something that I took into consideration when I was surveying this, uh, this whole situation with Anthony Smith that Daniel Cormier had mentioned. Obviously, every fighter kind of has their own tactics and way they like to be trained and, and instructed and whatnot. But Anthony Smith's corner was very, very vocal in those early rounds. And Cormier himself said that he, as a fighter who's fought plenty of times would personally not want any instruction like that especially to the extent that anthony smith's corner was giving it to him and he thinks that it would have worn him down as a fighter having to not trust his instincts and more follow the instructions of your corner and then as you know as things turned out he ended up you know having a significant decline in his ability in production from that point in and he was not you know he was a shell of the fighter he was in the first round when he was fighting in the fourth so that kind of played into my evaluation of it the fact that smith definitely looked a lot more battered in those later rounds than he was in the beginning i find it tough if i was in this corner i mean like you want to maintain uh you know positivity and there's always the possibility that something could could happen we've seen that in mma but It really wasn't looking good for Anthony Smith, and that's taking years off of his career. So let's end the UFC talk there. A lot of great stuff in the UFC, and I was happy to have both of those events back over the past week or so. But I know you're a big baseball guy, so I want to leeway into baseball a little bit here. A lot's being made out of this proposal that the MLB is placing forth towards the MLBPA, a shortened season and adjusted playoff format that you hinted at earlier. What are your thoughts on the format? What do you think the players might think about the format?
2: So first off the players definitely aren't too happy. I mean, they're never going to want to take um take a, a cut uh, cut in their pay especially because it's something that is completely out of control. They were ready to show up to spring training at the end of February. So it's a tough situation. Teams obviously look at it as, "Hey, these guys are sitting at home. There's no reason for us to be paying them. They'll get their proper game checks once they're in the facility and all that stuff." But it completely depends. I feel like it's really going to be just counter-proposal after counter-proposal after counter-proposal and just getting that number to the middle ground that the Players Association can agree on. I know guys like Adam Jones, guys like Trevor Bauer, have really voiced their concern on how they don't agree with what the MLB is doing. But at the same time, it's unprecedented times, and if baseball truly is as patriotic as a sport as, as America's pastime, then I really do believe that core group of players is going to do whatever it takes to get back to the field even if they don't agree with the MLB so hope it could be a grueling uh, negotiation but in the end I think we will see baseball I'm just really curious first off to see what they do with the playoff format cuz I really don't believe that it should be expanded more than it is I, the, the two wild card spots are are awesome just because it creates that one game playoff which is a whole new aspect that i think works really really well but to be complete to be completely honest baseball was the top two the winners of the regular season from the american league and national league meet in the world series at the end of the year and that's how it's worked for a long time until i mean i don't have the exact year even but i mean that's what baseball historically was and I mean, if we're talking about a shortened season with a expanded playoffs, it's gonna look like the other big. It's gonna look like the other big uh, four sports, and baseball really is one of those things where that regular season is so so important. That month-long marathon of ups, no six-month-long marathon. Sorry, of ups and downs, and a shortened season. I really think is gonna give us a flawed result of who the top
0: teams are. You know more about the uh, proposal from the MLB than I do, but one thing I'm not overly clear about is how they're proposing the locations would work in the sense that I know know, some teams, like the big-name teams, the Red Sox, the Yankees, they generate more economic activity than smaller market teams like the Marlins do. How is their proposition going to impact maybe the spreading or the diversification of the income that comes from the television deals? And how are some of these lower market teams going to sustain themselves given how reliant they are on fan spending?
2: Well, first off, with the Marlins, they're probably going to do about the same because that ballpark looks empty every day. But, uh, no, yeah, they're going to take a hit. But to be honest, as UFC showed, it's a different situation because those pay-per-view numbers must have skyrocketed. But, hey, you're going to be making nothing and still have players under contract, which turns into a huge problem. Or you could have them playing. And as long as you come up with an agreement on what the – how the pay is going to work, what the pro rates going to be from March until opening or this planned opening day in July. So there's really a lot of options. And in the end, it comes down to the players association agreeing to a number. And that's, and I really feel like they are disrespecting the players in some sense because it's not like they showed like it, if it was one th- if it was one thing that they didn't have the money to do it, but I really think with the MLB situation, like, they got, they got caught in a hole where it's like, all right, we need to get these guys back on the field, but we're not trying to pay their full contracts. When in reality, the teams have the money to pay these contracts. It's not about Major League Baseball there. And in some sense, they have that league-to-owner relationship where I feel like they're trying to really keep the – the the owners that have the influence within the league happy. Mm
0: -hmm. To provide a little Canadian context on the drasticness, you can say, of the situation facing some of these lower market sports teams, the commissioner of the CFL recently said that not only is it looking like it's most likely that this upcoming season in the CFL is going to be cancelled, but he also said that They pose the possibility of having to fold the league altogether because some of their teams don't really have the finances right now to sustain themselves through this drought. I want to tie that back into this conversation because I referenced the lower market teams in my previous question. Do you think any of these teams in baseball, specifically those lower market teams, face that possibility where they might have to seize operations because they can't continue to sustain with a limited financial income?
2: I don't think that will be the case, Goldie. I think we might see some teams who take a little bit of a hit. But, hey, I'm hoping for a money ball type situation. You know, like we see a team that's a low spender and they really develop their prospects. Well, like that's what I love about baseball. I really like your $30 million team can beat a $200 million team. And that's just how it goes. Just got to get on base.
0: I can't lie. That is one of the things I love the most about that sport. That is a great story. So, Let's end it off on that. I want to talk a little bit with you. We haven't had an episode in about nine days now, so a lot of stuff's happened in sports since we last spoke. One thing that's came to fruition and is now only 10 days away, on May 24th, the golf match is now set. Tiger Woods and Peyton Manning, the duo against Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady. What a match that's going to be.
2: So to be honest, I couldn't be more fired up. Tom Brady and Peyton Manning is probably of my like of my sports watching career, my life, my fandom, that's the rivalry that hit home the hardest for me. I mean uh, Brady Manning like I'm a Colts fan and I like I I'm biased, but I think Peyton Manning's one of the best personalities and they're bringing exactly what we need to the Tiger-Phil match because the first time around the broadcast did get a little bit boring. Yes, it was everyone was excited, but like once we got once we were getting down the stretch, or no, once we were kind of making the turn, getting through the backbone, that's when we started really really like, okay, like we we need a little bit more to keep the fans engaged if it's gonna be one group. And I know it's Tiger Phil, but no matter what, like I think Brady and Manning are bring the entertainment aspect and the competitiveness aspect to make it so
0: much better. Given our ties to the NFL, I know we both have a little bit of a bias towards Payton, but I want to look at this from an objective standpoint. So uh, when I look at this match, I mean, I know we're both going to most likely pick Tiger and Payton because we all have plenty of respect for Tiger and we both have Payton ties. But when I try and analyze it objectively, I'd say Tiger is the most polished of the two golfers. Obviously, you can't take anything away from Phil. He can clobber the ball. Tiger has more accolades, though. He has the most recent major win, having won the Masters in 2019. And I'm pretty sure he also has more all-time. But taking it away from the golf, as an enter- from an entertainment standpoint, there's undeniably going to be added entertainment value from adding Brady and Manning to the duo of Tiger and Phil. Because Brady and Manning have as fierce of a rivalry, uh, excuse me, as fierce of a rivalry as anyone in football, and now having that extend to a second sport is going to be something that we rarely get to see in the sports world. We're all craving the second coming of that rivalry because I know I'm still watching highlights of the last Brady versus Manning duel, so I'm just you know counting down the days till I can watch, counting down the hours till I can watch this match because I just want to see Peyton give it to Brady one more time.
2: Honestly, same here. And I, I want to see Tiger give it to Phil. I want to see Phil... I mean, that's one of the really cool things about Phil Mickelson is for his entire career. He was one of those guys who you never really hear too much out of him. He was there for business. And now all of a sudden, he's all over social media. He's bringing out that personality and adapting to kind of the younger generation, which we really need to grow the game of golf. Like when he's like hitting... or hitting bombs and attacking pins, or, yeah, hitting bombs and attacking pins, like, that's just fun stuff. That's going to really make, I know, like, you know, like the 15-, 16-, 17-year-olds want to go out there and just smack drives or work on their short game. Like, all that stuff. And, I mean, especially lefties. Like, do you, if you know a lefty golfer who's not like, oh, yeah, like, I look up to Phil Mickelson, or, or, like, I hate Phil Mickelson. It's like, no, you don't see that. They all, like, He has that influence on young golfers now, on lefties, people everywhere. On those flop shots or, like, trick shots where people are trying to go over the house, like, over houses. I mean, that's stuff that Phil Mickelson has influenced on the game. So, overall, like, these are four people who have had such an impact on so many people's lives relating to sports. And I think right now is a time that we need it more than ever.
0: I'm with you, man. I'm so excited for it. And one of the things I'm most excited for is the profits. Because even the players themselves, we didn't see it as much as we were expecting in the first match, but they were making bets as they were walking down the course. The trash talk near the end wasn't as much as we would have liked it to be, but they were still betting, and I'm sure adding Brady and Manning into that, given the amount of money they've made in their careers, I'm sure there's going to be some sweet bets going on during that match, and if Bet365 allows me to hit some crop bets during it, I'm going to be tossing down on Manning all game, or all match, excuse me.
2: Yes, sir, and I can't wait. What about golf courses opening up in
0: Ontario on Saturday? Who's fired up for that? Oh, yeah, definitely going to head out ASAP, man. Excited. That's going to be fun once we get to do that. I mean, it's been tough having to stay inside and not really do do anything. And I know a golf course is pretty much the perfect place to distance from your buddies while still kind of getting to enjoy each other, drink beers, play golf and all that. So as soon as it's open, I'll be out there. I'm sure you will be, too.
2: I'm honestly really curious to see how Brady and Manning attack medalists, too, because that golf course is tough. Like, I mean, and and what tee boxes they could be hitting from. I think they might have discussed it in one of those press conferences. Um, I mean, obviously, Mickelson and Tiger playing from the tips, but, like, I'd really like to see Brady and Manning play from the tips, too. Like, I don't really
0: care if they're shooting high scores. Like, I think that will bring more entertainment. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. And uh, yeah, we're all we're definitely gonna do a little more coverage on the golf match come May twenty fourth. We'll do a little before match prediction and whatnot. But want to give any last words before we move on to our final topic here?
2: Well, yeah, before we get off the golf topic, want to wish Mike Weir a happy fiftieth birthday, and I'm excited to watch him on the Champions Tour. He finally, uh, finally is of age, so hopefully we can see Weirzy winning some tournaments. So in honor of that, I'm gonna throw on my. Uh, Mike Weir signed Titleist hat that I got when I was about like eight years old, watching him uh, play at the Canadian Open Pro Am. So, shout out to Mike Weir. Honestly, couldn't be more thrilled to see you playing on the Champions Tour. And let's get let's get some more. Like you know what? Like we get to watch Mike Weir compete again. I'm excited.
0: Don't lose that hat.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All this, right, man. This one too. You know, Ven- this one the Adam Venitari. That's a big
0: one. That is a nice hey, one. We're going have- to have to post these on the Instagram because if anyone's just listening on Spotify, they're not going to know what's going on. But a couple nice hats. <laughs> just, knee,
2: just me rambling.
0: <laughs> well, our course, last topic...
2: Manti tail and his uh, his girlfriend are both here right now other than Manti tail So... <laughs> uh,
0: well, on the man- on the note of Manti tail <laughs> this happened about
2: know
0: where that came from Uh, the NFL schedule release it must have been eight nine days ago now so longer than we would have liked it to be you know for some post post schedule release coverage but they did a nice show on ESPN they gave us three hours of coverage they highlighted some of the games they're looking forward to some big revenge games things of that nature so let's do our own little version of that here I'll start off I want to give you a couple games that I'm really looking forward to I know you have your ties to the Colts. I have my ties to the Broncos. So I may as well get that one out of the way first here. Week 13, Sunday night football in Arrowhead. The Broncos play the Chiefs. I think if we want the AFC West or want to make a playoff run of any sort, that's a big statement game for us. National television against the defending champions. Really excited for that game. To take it away from some Broncos stuff, the Chiefs are another, obviously, given my AFC West ties, a team that I'm really interested in watching. The week before that, which is the game, I guess, leading into the game week for them. The Chiefs head to Baltimore to play the Ravens in Week 12. An all-star caliber matchup between Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. Definitely two of the leading candidates for the Super Bowl this year in the Chiefs and the Ravens. So that's definitely going to be a sweet game, and that's one to keep your eye out for. Do you have any that stick out to you?
2: So 100%. First off, with my Colts, I talked about this earlier. I mean... We're playing the Texans week thirteen and week fifteen on the road week thirteen at home week fifteen, and the way that the way that our division has been going, to be completely honest with you, that I feel like those two games are gonna be the difference of the Colts becoming that playoff team that they're hoping for with Philip Rivers this year or not. And as we saw with that, like that was the, when we lost them. I, that Texas game was the swinging point. Like I think what like seven and two at that point. And they lost on a last second field goal. And all of a sudden they lost five games in a row. They lost to the Jags next week, the Steelers after that. So I'm, I'm just confident. Those are the two games I have circled on my calendar right now. Cause I really think that's the point. We're going to be like, all right, we're going to see some Colts playoff football.
0: And, uh, Given your ties, your ties to the Colts, I get that why you'd highlight those games. And those are definitely two big division games late in the season that will likely determine how that division unfolds. So, on that note, I want to ask you uh, just, you know, oh, a little FaceTime call coming in. What's that? No, okay. I want to ask you, though.
2: I up to Jack Garrett. Thank you for the call. I will call you after the episode.
0: <laughs> oh. All right. Well, thanks, Jack, for the call. we we'll- Try and get you on time, but yo, um, what do you think of the Colts schedule? Because I know you've probably been looking a lot at the Colts schedule. You just mentioned two late divisional games that are likely going to have big impact on the Colts season. Do you like the schedule? Are you happy with how it's playing out?
2: To be honest, I really like it. I mean, starting out in Jacksonville, we can steal a big road win, uh, week one. So I like that. Tickets for twenty four dollars if anyone wants to go for a road trip down to Florida.
0: had some coronavirus.
2: <laughs> well hopefully I mean everything will be all good by then we can drive down play some golf and watch some football <laughs> so and then oh the one I didn't even mention November 1st in Detroit that's the game that I will 100% be attending my brother's a diehard Lions fan I mean every time the Colts play the Lions one of us is pissed off one of us is really happy so I can't wait to get out to Motor City and see that
0: mm-hmm when I uh, just to tie it back to the Broncos for a bit, when I think of the Broncos schedule, I want to say this before I even get into it, because it feels like every year when the schedule release comes out, every fan of every team is happy with their schedule. They can justify it in some way. And I know everyone kind of has differing philosophies as to how you like your schedule, whether you'd rather your hard matchups be the beginning of the season, the middle of the season, the end of the season or a mix of them all. I am very happy with Denver's schedule. I think we have a favorable layout. So to dive into that a little, we have a tough schedule at the beginning, which I am a fan of because I think it gets you acclimated to, you know, high caliber NFL teams early on in the year. And then when it comes down to it near the end of the season, you have a bit, you know, a few lighter matchups that might be the deciding factors to get you into a wildcard spot. So I'm happy with that. We started off tough. Sunday night football actually sorry Monday night football the last of the two Monday night games against the Titans and that's at home in Denver and then we play the Steelers and their defense in addition to Bucks with their new acquisitions of Brady and Gronk so a couple tough matchups to start the season overall I'm happy with it though and I definitely think it meets my philosophy of how I'd want to schedule to play out because I'm not the biggest fan of having those tough games at the end of the season because everyone's really fighting for those final spots
2: Honestly, couldn't agree with you more, and I know both of us are one of those guys who will always have that personal attachment, and nothing will be able to rip us apart. But to be honest, I feel like, just hearing the hearing you talk with passion about that, just like it makes it it makes it pure. Like I mean, you're that just you can just see the excitement in your face for like how ready you are for football. Like I know, like. At the bottom of your heart, like you're even a little pissed off there's no CFL right now because at least it's something odd.
0: I'm and
2: I I'm not even at least something to watch. Like I love CFL football. I just know Goldie got into it very recent. Not very recently, but in the last let's say five seasons.
0: No, I'm with it sure. last
2: year, you were out of like most of the people I know you were into, you were watching every single week. You were on the sidelines of those Tacks games. Like you were you were having You were buying in because you started to get that. You got the football bug, and I love it.
0: Oh, yeah. There's nothing better than going to the games, and I think that's the best way to end off this episode. You referenced it at the beginning there, how you want to go to Detroit to see the Colts play the Lions and that being one of the games you want to go to. Are there any other games that catch your eye as potential games that you might want to go to at some point throughout the season?
2: Well, that Bill's Chiefs game, hopefully we can rally up all the boys to go to. Uh, So for you listeners out there, if we want to get a party bus going, we could get a... A full let's talk sports trip out for that Chiefs Bills game. Keep we'll keep you guys updated with that, and I'm actually gonna go through the first couple weeks of the season and just uh, bring up the best ga- the best games that we have for each week.
0: Uh, I I honestly second what you just said there so, so much, man. If anyone listening to this wants to come on a party bus, maybe gather up 15 to 20 of us and get a tailgate going. If we have that many people, we could actually rent a good parking space in the Bill's parking lot. So we could have like the full section of the parking lot for our tailgate setup. get the Barbies going, maybe, you know, figure out exactly what we want to do in terms of the, the food and whatnot, but we'll have a great time. It'll be sweet.
2: Oh yeah. Newer, newer field. I mean, the good old Ralph always a fun time but one thing I just thought about and I don't know how it wasn't the first thing that came to my mind when we're talking about the NFL schedule that kind of shows you where my mind's at right now but weeks three we have Mahomes and Lamar on Monday night football like are you kidding me like did we not get enough last year like we only got to see that one of every 365 days they play week three Week three on Monday night football.
0: Mahomes and Lamar. Oh, man. I swear, they do they play twice? Do they play in week 12? I thought I had them as one of my games I'm looking forward to in week 12. Maybe that was a mistake on my part.
2: Ravens host week 12 race um, is Thanksgiving. Uh, Ravens have the Steelers.
0: Oh, Um, I messed that up. So thank you for that. So it's week three, the game I'm looking forward to. Not week 12, but Chiefs or Ravens. That's one of those games, man. That's going to be sweet.
2: Oh, we're going to be, th- come playoff time, we're going to be, what I'm hoping for is that we're watching pregame for this exact matchup in the playoffs, and we're just sitting there watching the highlights from this week three game, and like, we're looking at this way in advance, but like, we can tell that it's going to be one of those situations where hopefully they can line up in the playoffs, and hopefully, we can- I mean, it's we literally get, instead of seeing them once every 365 days, we get to see them twice. Mm -hmm. So, like i mean it's the i I think it's the best matchup in the nfl
0: season i'm with you honestly that definitely is my premier matchup for this season because those are two guys that have caught all of our eyes over the past couple seasons and aside from the star-studded quarterback matchup those are two great teams the super bowl champions and you know one of the contenders to take them out of that uh that leading role this year so something to watch for sure
2: so what about brady uh Brady going back to New England are you excited about that or is the game in Tampa this year
0: I don't know you'd probably have a better idea of me if you have this good okay
2: so no 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 sorry I was looking at the Patriots schedule and of course it's just the first first thing that comes up. without Tom Brady as he moves on to Tampa Bay and then it's talking about a completely different game so uh once Tom Brady's
0: involved they will pop him to the top of the list To be honest, I feel like we would have heard about that if that was a thing. I don't think Tom plays the Patriots. We definitely would have like that would be a story. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah.
0: Sorry, I. Right, uh, like I don't know that factually, but I'm just I'm just assuming like that seems like it would be at the top of the list for the revenge games on the ESPN show. Like that would have been top top. Yeah.
2: And I I didn't want to mention this one again just because it's another colts game but to be honest this is the third one on my list for the season i mean when we play tennessee on thursday night football in week 10 that's gonna be a barn burner
0: it's hard to tell like with that division like who really is the top of the division because we all we all respect watson but I'd, I'd argue that i'd take the titans over the texans right now especially with their offseason moves the texans and you know the the downgrade in their wide receiver.
2: i i would 100 agree with you that going into the season, the Titans are the biggest threat. Like, what what are we Who's kidding? Who like they made it to the AFC Championship, mm. beat the Patriots in the playoffs,
0: mm-hmm. and uh, so games to watch plenty of them. As you can see, the Chiefs and the Bills, one that we referenced a couple minutes ago, I wanted to throw this in. We were pitching you guys on an idea about getting a party bus. I have it written down here. It's actually a Thursday night football game, and it's during first semester reading week for any university students. It's October 15th, to Thursday. Most of you will have school off October 12th to October 16th. If anyone wants to do that, that'll be a ton of fun. Primetime ball; it won't start till eight o'clock, so we could leave to go down to Buffalo at ten or eleven in the morning, get down there noon, and just start tailgating till the game. So that sounds like a time.
2: Hey, also, one of the things that I'm super excited about, about for this season is those new portable barbecue things that they uh, got. They're basically like 20, 25 bucks, and it's the it's just like the frame of a little barbecue, like this big. And we just loaded up a charcoal, get the fire going, and it's honestly like disposable. You can just leave it mm-hmm. in the parking lot, and next game you go to, you have another one for. I got a few of those lined up, ready to go. So tailgating's gonna be a game changer. We're not gonna have to like haul everything with us. Like I mean, our barbecue setup's just gonna be that much better. So I know, not sure how many of you guys have uh, done the full barbecue tailgate at Ralph Wilson Stadium, especially uh, especially when it's snowing. But if you guys want to join us, any of the Let's Talk Sports uh, listeners are
0: welcome to come to this tailgate definitely a game changer having that i know you can probably speak to this because i've done it with you but you know we're canadian we don't really have access to i guess the tailgate setups that the locals have in buffalo or any other city for that matter so i remember you know games that we've gone to where we just show up with our hot dogs we don't even have a barbecue to grill on we kind of just go around like seeing who'd let us you know you
2: know exactly (laughs) which game you know exactly which game i'm thinking about right now and it wasn't at Ralph Wilson Stadium. It in Miami. You know, nope, not in Miami. We're we're Canadian. It. I think it was, but for people like me and you, and especially like our relationship as football fans, that that tailgate will stick with me forever. Cause I remember walking over the bridge into Soldier Field for Broncos, for Broncos, um, Bears. And I remember that me and you were so fired up. We didn't even eat breakfast that morning. We went we went to get breakfast, and the only thing we got was an empty cup to pour our beers in so we didn't get a ticket. So I mean, that's what it's all about. Like that I just I don't even know if I should be saying this on the podcast, but to be honest, Goldie can tell you this. He was walking into the stadium about to go through security, and I literally turned around and was like if any of you guys have been to Soldier Field, there's that bridge to the front gate there. And I literally turned around and started puking off the side of the bridge and then walked into the stadium. So that's one of those moments, like those tailgating moments. I was, It's literally the three of us, me, you, and your dad. Like, that was one of those moments where I was like, okay. I maybe shouldn't have had too much to drink, but that was an awesome tailgate.
0: That's one of my best tailgating memories. <laughs> things that made it so great was that it was unfamiliar territory obviously when we go to buffalo not to say we're not you know buffalo natives but like i feel like i know my way around the new era field tailgate scene like you go around you kind of know where you're gonna have fun know what you want to do and you kind of have an idea of how you want to go about things we were kind of rookies we get to soldier field we don't really know what we're doing and we have our beers first thing in the morning haven't eaten any food and we're looking at each other and we're like are we just gonna stay out here until you know one o'clock or are we gonna go in and watch warm up? And I think I made the decision like I wanna go in and watch warm-up because Denver was playing. So we kinda tried to force feed all the beers down before we went in. And I just remember that you, you know, took control, took a couple extra to help us get the, you know, whatever we had out of the way and ended yep. up.
2: Hold <laughs>
0: Oh, man. Well, I'm looking forward to some more of that. I want to end it off with this one last game I'm looking forward to going to. Hoping you're going to be there with me. The Broncos play the Raiders in Las Vegas November 15th. That's a Sunday game. All of us are going to be 21 by that point. I think our last friend turns 21. We're going
2: to be 21 at that point. So this is going to be – I mean, what better timing? we got NFL football in Vegas, and the boys turn 21. So if anyone wants to go for a little Vegas trip, let's talk sports boys are going.
0: Oh, yeah. And it's going to be unreal because it's like a brand new stadium. I don't really sell anyone on the allure of Vegas, one of the best places to travel to. So that's going to be an all-around unbelievable trip.
2: So honestly, I know we're supposed to wrap it up here, but on the topic of Vegas, how do you think an NFL team in Vegas is going to affect in-stadium gambling across the league?
0: You know what? That's such a good question because I've caught myself at games – in many stadiums, as a Canadian, trying to bet on my Bet365 account as I'm watching the game live. Because you think, oh, I have like an upper hand on everyone who's watching home on TV. I'm in the moment, can make judgments based off of things you see around the arena that you might not otherwise see on TV. And then you go to make your bet, and Bet365 doesn't allow you to make bets in that state because it's illegal in that state. And you're like, man, how come the one time I really need my betting account, <laughs> I'm allowed to make bets? But now here's the ultimate the, literally the ultimate, like, circumstance for a better. You're at an NFL game in Vegas, brand-new stadium, boiled, doing your doing your thing with all the homies, probably just had a huge bender the night before, and you're watching the Raiders play whatever in the AFC West, whether it be the Chiefs, the Broncos, whoever. And you're chilling there, watching the game live, and you're allowed to make bets wherever because you're in Vegas – probably off of your phone you can probably do it at the casino before the game after the game maybe even during the game if you're at the casino and not at the game maybe you have someone on the phone who's at the casino making that for you but there's just so many possibilities that it's like that's the best circumstance ever so i'm a huge Well, fan no, that's
2: that's already a thing i just want to i mean anyone can do that they can make their phone calls get their bets i'm saying like betting stations It's gonna be like a concession stand it's like the like you're at the track and you show up and you can make your bets at the stadium i think Honestly, it could be really dangerous, like you said, because to be completely honest, yeah, football fan gamblers are happy until they lose. And as we know, a lot of gambling, especially on football, there's instinct, there's bias. So it's definitely an interesting possibility. I'm not sure if it really will come into fruition, but it's really interesting to think about just that because... NFL is going to Vegas, and anything in Vegas, you almost associate with gambling.
0: You're thinking, like, kiosks? Oh, that'd be sweet.
2: Oh, 100%. If they do it, that's what it will be. Like, think about when we... You've been to highlight, right, Jacob? Yep. Okay, so think about it. For all our listeners out there, uh, Highlight is a great sport. Uh, might be a little fixed, not too sure about that, but it is basically, it basically takes place in casinos. And it's guys... Basically wall ball, but with the big round things attached to their arm. And they're just whipping the ball back and forth. It touches the ground. It's over. And you sit there and bet on them. And, like, they have all these kiosks along the back. It's my, it's my favorite. I used to love I think my dad actually took my mom on his first date there. So, uh there's some ties to highlight.
0: but. Ryan's the product of gambling. <laughs> <laughs>
2: so, to be, to be completely honest, uh, if, if that happens in NFL stadiums, I don't know. it'll It'll be interesting. it It will be, betters will be happy at first. I can tell you that for sure.
0: It's kind of weird to think about now because it's a foreign concept. But the more I kind of start to like pitch that idea back and forth. I think it does make a lot of sense, especially in a place like Vegas, where that's almost an encouraged element of going to Vegas. Because, like, think about, like, I'm just thinking back to my experiences gambling, and I don't have too many, to be honest with you. Most of them have been in the past year or so of my life. When I look back when I was a kid and, you know, my dad would take me to, like, the horse tracks or something like that, a lot of, like, the actual – aside from like winning a bet which is obviously a great part of that one of the best parts of the experience was actually like going through the process of like making the bet i don't know why i remember that part as like one of my memories but it's like you go and you're like looking at the odds and you go up to the teller and you make the selection and like the whole process of like making the bet it's kind of like an experience and that just adds another like element of something you could do at the nfl game it's, it's a <laughs> the
2: idea. adrenaline rush at gambling on horses that's what goldie's talking about now so, on that end, before we say something too stupid, because we're starting to ramble a little bit, we want to thank all of you for listening. And, honestly, any of those games next year, we really hope to see you guys at the tailgate, maybe at the casino after for this Vegas trip. So, thank you for a great episode. Thank you, Goldie. It was a ton of fun, as always
0: right back at you man thanks for doing this and everyone listening we appreciate you all tuning in and feel free to reach out if you're interested in any of these games that we've outlined because we're sure as hell happy to have you if you're interested so let us know
2: cheers everyone have a wonderful night
0: take care